0: This week on Medical Minefield, Professor Joanna Moncrief.
1: This idea that antidepressants or any other drug is working by targeting a brain abnormality has not been substantiated. I think we're really not certain that antidepressants have any beneficial effect. They do have this emotional numbing effect. Some people might think that would be useful, but some people will think actually, no, that's not useful. That's not
2: what I'm looking for. And Dr.
0: Samir Jahar.
2: We really shouldn't be biased when we're presenting evidence. We don't get paid money for prescribing SSRIs. And also, if something's a scientific fact, it's a scientific fact. you can't wiggle with that.
0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons.
3: And I'm Ethan Ennals.
0: And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to experts who really know their stuff, so you don't have to. This week we're asking, are antidepressants much less effective than we've been led to believe? As always, we'd like to know what you think. If you have a question or comment, you can tweet us, at MedMinefield. Now, Ethan, a lot of people know I am a big fan of antidepressants, especially SSRIs. I take them myself. They're responsible for the chirpy person you see in front of you today,
3: (laughs) kind of. So you believe they work then?
0: I do believe that they work. But the reason why I brought up my own personal experience is because I believe it's why it made me very angry about a Panorama documentary that I saw a couple of weeks ago. So it was a BBC Panorama investigation about selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs and it seemed to sort of present this very murky world in which these antidepressants had been sold to us as a way of a sort of cure-all for all emotional distress problems but in fact a documentary seemed to allude to the fact that there was lots of side effects that had been hushed up the drug companies had tried to cover it up and they also questioned the very sort of method by which SSRIs are believed to work, which is on the serotonin system in the brain. I was very annoyed by this because I thought it was a very one-sided argument. There wasn't really a lot from people who had seen huge benefit from antidepressants. And also, I felt like a lot of the information was already known. There wasn't anything particularly new. And the drug companies have addressed this before. We know that there are, like with any drugs, there are side effects. But on balance, a lot of big reviews have found that the benefits outweigh the risks. Now, this all happened in the context of a bit of a balmy that was kicking off on Twitter between two psychiatrists about SSRIs. And you wrote about that, Ethan. Do you want to explain a little bit about what happened?
3: Yes, sure. So Professor Joanna Moncrief, who is a esteemed researcher in this field at University College London, last year wrote a big, very highly publicised study which claimed to show that there was no link between depression and serotonin levels in the brain.
0: Was it a study or was it a, I believe it was a review of lots of different well, studies. Well, this is the controversy
3: here because right. now people are asking whether it was a study or not because what it did was went back and looked at historical evidence from over, I think it was around 30 years of evidence. And it's called an umbrella study. So it's it's where they go back and piece all the evidence together to kind of create a new outlook on the link between these chemicals in the brain and depression. And what uh, Press Moncrief claimed to find was that there was no link, regardless of what your serotonin levels were. It had no impact on how depressed you were. And this is obviously massive because these SSRI drugs, which are given to millions and millions of people around the world every year, are meant to boost serotonin levels. And if it's the case that there isn't a link between the two, then what are the drugs doing? So this got loads and loads of coverage. It also got loads of pushback from experts in the field. I think we've both spoke to a load of scientists when it first got published who were enraged about it. And nearly a year on, 40 of them have got together and have written a response where they picked holes and raised concerns with how the original umbrella study was carried out. And... That's what's led to the Barney, which is continuing still actually. They're still arguing over the the kind of the intricacies of this study. But I, the the kind of main issue here is is there a link between serotonin and depression? It seems to be still very much up for debate.
0: And as I understand, Joanna Moncrief and her colleagues then released another paper yes. to rebut the rebuttal. Yes. So it's all just a bit messy and yeah. it feels at this point like scientists just trying to get one up on each other.
3: And there's a lot of people who are really invested in this on both sides. When I published our story on this a few weeks ago and I posted it on my Twitter, I was hit by an absolute wave of people who were on both sides of the debate. There was a lot of people who were saying that these 40 experts were all being paid by the drug companies, So therefore couldn't, because, you know, they'd done research projects with the big pharmaceutical companies before, therefore they couldn't be taken seriously. And I I got a lot of people saying, you know, you you should check facts because you don't know who these people are and that they've got interest in this field. And then, you know, the other side was saying that Professor Moncrief has spent several decades now trying to disprove this link. And there is a question whether that is in itself a kind of weighted prejudicial view. Obviously, that's very much up for debate and and she would argue very strenuously against that but yeah i mean hundreds and hundreds of people were arguing about this for and as i said i'm still getting notifications about it today
0: i mean my concern is that people get so confused about whether they work or not antidepressants and then they stop taking them which Mm. we know if you stop taking antidepressants on your own without tapering off properly you can be subject to a host of really horrible side effects and it's definitely not recommended to do that so I guess that's my worry but also does it really matter that we don't know how they work
3: because the studies do show that people get better on these drugs right
0: Mm. the placebo effect is very strong that's true but that in a way doesn't matter too much if they're working and you patients are seeing an improvement in their symptoms
3: I guess the confusion then is is what Professor Moncrief would say is that's quite an unfamiliar way to do medicine right we there's not many other fields of medicine where we say oh it, it doesn't matter if we don't know how it works and maybe it is placebo maybe it isn't but at least it's, it's helping some people might hear that and think they might be a bit nervous about that not knowing how the drug works right but there
0: are lots of drugs that we give people that we don't know how they work That's there's not lo- there's heart drugs that we don't we're not yeah. really sure how they work
3: paracetamol paracetamol really
0: a lot of painkillers we don't really know how they work mm. and I guess because I am interested in this field and I've written about it a lot, it didn't come as a surprise to me. I mean, I I thought it was common knowledge that it wasn't as simple as there is a lack of serotonin in your brain and this drug helps restore that. I knew that it was to do with lots of different chemical systems in the brain and that serotonin has a knock-on effect on something else and then something else. And But Joanna Moncrief's argument, from what it says in her paper, seems to be that she thinks that the public has this view that it's all about serotonin and that that in fact is not Mm. correct but i'm not sure where she gets that from i don't know if that is true that that's what people think
3: well then again also the scientists on the other side are also fighting for the serotonin argument themselves because they are they are saying that her original study didn't properly acknowledge research which did suggest a link between serotonin and, and and many of them believe that it is serotonin, which is linked to depression. So it's not like she's the only one arguing around this particular topic. Serotonin, I think, is still very much in the picture. Mm.
0: I guess the other sort of edge to this argument is the fact that if we don't really know how they work and the benefits are questionable, what can we say about the risks? And mm. Scientists like Joanna Moncrief would say that for a lot of people, the risks definitely outweigh the benefits. There's been a lot of noise about long term effects of SSRIs that continue when you stop taking the pills, which was what the focus was in the Panorama documentary. What were some
3: examples of those side effects?
0: So we've covered it before, actually. It's a condition called post serotonin sexual dysfunction. Patients find that some of them describe being dead from the waist down years after they've stopped taking SSRIs. And there was also another woman in the documentary who described those symptoms, but also just terrible mental health problems that continued that some patients claim they didn't really experience that badly or that acutely before they went on the SSRIs. Obviously, it's really difficult to know what's caused by the drug and what isn't because you take SSRIs for mental health problems. And that would be my argument. So that's why there isn't really great data to show that the risks outweigh the benefits. But I think instead of listening to me bang on, we should speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about. On the line now is Professor Joanna Moncrief, who is a psychiatrist at University College London, and she's going to tell us about what she thinks about SSRIs. Professor Moncrief, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you as always.
1: Pleasure, pleasure. Nice to...
0: I guess the first thing that I'd like to ask you is, Do you think that it really matters that we're not 100% sure about how antidepressants work if we know that they do work for a significant number of people?
1: I think it matters because I think if you believe that an antidepressant is working by rectifying something that's gone wrong in your brain, then it obviously makes sense to take it, all other things being equal. If we don't know that, then we have to ask, well, what is it doing to our brain exactly? Exactly. And it could be, in that case, working through other mechanisms such as modifying our normal brain activity and producing effects such as the emotional numbing effect that we know that antidepressants do produce. And if that's the case, if, if they are working in that way, then I think people, at least some people, might make different decisions about whether it was worthwhile to take them or not.
0: Now we're kind of talking about this today in light of the argument, if I can call it that, that's been um, exploding on on Twitter. A lot of it based around the the paper that you published, and then a team from King's College London published something else, and then you've published something else. Would you? I guess I want to give you your chance to respond to that rebuttal that was published to your paper. What is it that you sort of have to say for yourself about that?
1: So first of all, I want to say this group who wrote a letter, it was a letter originally about our paper, have a history of trying to discredit research that they don't like. This is not the first time they've done this. And what they do is they make allegations that the research is inaccurate or mistakes have been made. And those allegations actually turn out to be false but they have made them anyway and they've publicised them and obviously that, that makes people ask questions about the original research. So this is a pattern. They've done this before. They've done this before with one of my papers. They've done it before with a, an important review that was conducted on antidepressant withdrawal symptoms. And the other thing, as I said, is this started out as a letter. It's a perfectly standard thing for people to write letters into journals about papers to either point out things they don't agree with or to agree with them. And they made these allegations, as they have in the past, that we'd made mistakes. And they also alleged that we'd made mistakes when actually what they were saying was they disagreed with some of the ways we'd done the review, but these disagreements were about things where there is no clear-cut method, there is no clear-cut agreed, the state that, you know, you must do this and you must do that in a review. There are different ways of doing a review, different opinions on how they should be done, but they put these fair views across as if they were, you know, hard and fast and, you know, the agreed right way to do things when they were actually not. So that's what's been happening. Of course, what they're saying doesn't change our conclusions at all. I think what they're trying to get across is they're trying to suggest to people that we haven't disproved the serotonin theory of depression. But of course, we were never trying to do that because you can't ever prove a negative. You can't ever disprove something conclusively. We were trying to show That the serotonin theory of depression hasn't been proven. And that remains the case. Nothing that they have said or put forward changes the fact that the evidence is very weak, inconsistent and unconvincing.
0: Do you think that SSRIs don't work?
1: The evidence shows that the difference between an antidepressant and placebo, whether it's an SSRI or another sort of antidepressant, is very small. And quite plausibly explained by the fact that people in these supposedly double-blind trials can often guess whether they're taking the real drug or the placebo. And we know that what people guess they're on has a very strong influence on their outcome. So I think we're really not certain that antidepressants have any beneficial effect. They do have this emotional numbing effect It's possible that some people might find it beneficial to be in a slightly emotionally numb state for a short period when they're very depressed. If that's what they're doing, it's really important that people are aware of that, or at least that they're aware that that's a strong possibility for what they're doing. Because some people might think, yes, okay, that that would be useful. But some people will think, actually, no, that's not useful. That's not what I'm looking for. I would rather stay away from them if that's what they're actually going to do.
3: Professor, you you said this group of roughly 40 experts who wrote this letter had gone out of their way to attempt to discredit your work. Do you have an explanation for their motivation?
1: Well, they're all biological psychiatrists, or mostly people who've made their name doing research into the biology of depression. And I think they want the public to go on believing that the biology of depression is settled when it's not. And they want to do that, first of all, so that the reputation of biological psychiatry is not dented, and secondly, in order to ensure that people go on taking antidepressants and don't ask too many questions about them. And as I say, my main, main motivation is that the public are informed, is that people can make informed decisions about whether to take these medications, because these drugs are drugs that change the normal state of the brain. They change your normal brain chemistry. That's a serious consideration to take a drug that does that. And people need to be properly informed if they're going to consider taking an antidepressant.
0: I mean, one of the lead authors of the paper, Dr. Samir Jahar, is a consultant psychiatrist and has been for many years. Do Do you really believe that he doesn't have the best interests of his patients at heart?
1: Of course, everyone thinks they have the best interests of their patients at heart. Of course they do. I, I'm not suggesting that he doesn't. I expect that he thinks that antidepressants work and that it's important that people should keep taking them. My view of the evidence on antidepressants is that it is not strong and that people need to be informed so that they can ask questions and make their own decisions.
0: So, Professor Moncrief, if you have a patient who has very low mood, is really struggling, has tried all the kind of lifestyle things, exercise, you know, taking long baths, relaxing, etc., and still feels dreadful, what would you advise them to do?
1: So I offer people the option of taking an antidepressant. I would explain, of course, that they are recommended in the NICE guidelines. And then I talk about the possible ways in which they might work and the fact that there is evidence that they don't work by reversing some sort of brain abnormality, but maybe working, if they do at all, through numbing of emotions or these amplified placebo effects, and then make a joint decision with a person about whether they think that that would be a worthwhile thing to do. And some people will decide that that's worthwhile. And as long as they are properly informed about the possible mechanisms of action, And about the long term, the the consequences, the withdrawal effects that some people will experience and the sexual side effects that people experience, you know, then that's okay.
0: Hmm. Professor Moncrief, I'm really interested in why you have chosen to dedicate such a large proportion of the most recent part of your career to this. You're really passionate about, I guess, highlighting the sort of flaws in the evidence about SSRIs. Can you explain why you've come to this subject and why you feel so strongly about it?
1: I feel that there's a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of all psychiatric drugs, all the drugs that we prescribe for mental health problems. And I think that is leading to their overuse and to people experiencing their harmful effects without actually deriving any real benefit from them. You know, I really think it's important that people understand that this idea that antidepressants or any other drug is working by targeting a brain abnormality has not been substantiated, and we are actually using drugs that change the normal state of your brain. And drugs that do that may well have harmful consequences, and we know in fact that that they will do one sort or another.
0: And has this been fueled by by uh, the experience you've seen in your patients?
1: Yes, you know I think the other thing that is that we've driven in the 90s by the pharmaceutical industry we've created this public narrative that there is you know a chemical solution to low mood and other emotional difficulties and it might be good if there was but i just don't think we have any evidence that there actually is a chemical solution to to most emotional problems
0: so what's the what is the I solution
1: I'm not sure that I have a good solution, but I do think it's very important that we don't go around giving people solutions that are not actually solutions and give people more problems.
0: Well, Professor Moncrief, as always, it was very interesting to chat to you. Thank you so much for sparing the time and coming on.
1: That's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: One thing I thought was really interesting there, uh, it's something we've talked before about in this podcast is what Professor Moncrief was talking about when it, she said about, uh, you know, over medicalization of um, uh, mental health problems. Mm. Uh, I mean, we were both born in the 90s, mm-hmm. the period she was talking about. And, you know, when I was a kid, I was given ADHD drugs, which were very intense Mm. and you've obviously been given antidepressants and still are on them. Mm -hmm. And maybe she does have a a point to an extent. You know, I I found with the ADHD drugs that I was on that they seemed to kind of disrupt my life so much because they were very strong drugs and they change change your mental state. Is there a case perhaps that we are giving out a lot of these drugs? I mean, a lot of people take antidepressants. Are they all necessarily clinically depressed?
0: Probably not, but I don't... (sighs) I personally believe in the reviews, the the very high quality reviews that have shown that the benefits outweigh the risks. And therefore, if there are some people who may be judging by some independent researcher, they're not, they don't have depression, but they're still taking a drug that could potentially help them make and make them feel better. I don't really see what the problem is with that. And and I, I just think... The younger generation growing up, starting their lives, like cost of living crisis, etc. Things are very stressful at the moment. Social media is inducing panic in a whole generation. And it's no wonder that we have more and more and more people experiencing mental health problems. So I do think that some of it is a bit of an inevitability that obviously doctors are going to offer the one thing that the NICE guidance suggests, obviously along with psychological therapy, but who's got four years to wait on a waiting list? For well, psychological I think therapy? maybe
3: that's the interesting point here is that there aren't really any other options.
0: No, we, we don't have great options for mental health problems. And that that is a fact. And actually a lot of psychologists would say that in a lot of patients, mental health problems do come from life difficulties which aren't that easy to solve so what do you do to somebody say oh divorce your husband leave your children change your job move country all of these things which probably would make someone who feels depressed feel less depressed but that's just not realistic because we don't live in a fairyland
3: hot truths. <laughs>
0: Well, now I think we should talk to someone on the other side of the debate who can respond to some of Joanna Moncrief's accusations. On the line now is Dr. Samir Johar, who is a consultant, psychiatrist and senior clinical lecturer in affective disorders and psychosis at King's College London. Dr. Johar, we have had a conversation with Professor Joanna Moncrief and she and her colleagues seem to think that the paper that you guys published was just another example of always disagreeing with anything that she and her colleagues say. What do you think about that take?
2: I would distance myself from making any comments in regard to people. I think in science we have to be dispassionate and just comment on what we know which is the evidence, Mm. and in regard to what we wrote, people who've worked in the field for 30-plus years, experts in regard to conducting these reviews, people who conducted the original research, people who conducted the reviews themselves, and their opinion in regard to methodology. I think we all have our biases, but when you get 36 people together, hopefully you can be dispassionate about something you've worked on. For the majority of your life.
0: Hmm. So you wouldn't agree with the fact that you have sort of made a special effort to, I guess, pick holes in arguments that attack antidepressants?
2: I would hope not, so, because at the end of the day, we're all scientists and academics and also people who look after people with mm. depression. And whether that's offering psychosocial intervention, psychotherapy or medicine, we really shouldn't be biased when we're presenting evidence. And it comes back to the review itself. An umbrella review shouldn't really be engendering any debate, because you're commenting on science that's already been published. And I think that was the main point of what we were writing, really, was that you have no new evidence, no new research, so you're commenting on other people's work. There shouldn't be dubiety if you're reflecting other people's work.
0: And you reject this idea that serotonin isn't implicated in depression. Can you explain why that is? Of course.
2: As we put in our study, we can only comment on the evidence. Now, it's not primary. It's not the same as smoking and lung cancer. But take a step back. Life events and depression. So not everyone who has a life event gets depression. Not everyone with depression has had a major life event or stressor. The same with the serotonin system. There's an association there that we have seen in experimental studies. You cannot extrapolate it to everyone, but a parsimonious explanation would be people who are vulnerable to depression, when they have things such as affecting the serotonin system through pharmacological manipulation, you see depressive symptoms coming back. So in people susceptible to depression, serotonin system in some people has been implicated through scientific research. I don't know if that's nuanced, but it it is a nuanced opinion. And I think that's the nature of science. We can't just have dichotomies of saying yes or no. Our mother nature is way too smart for that.
0: And can you explain, based on your understanding, the best kind of explanation that you may have available as to how SSRIs work?
2: Very good question. Would I be permitted to say it's complicated?
0: Yes, you can. (laughs) That's allowed.
2: Thank you. The system's affected by the medicine. We do not know which bit of the system because our techniques have so many different interpretations to them. And that was another thing that came out of the paper. It gave very simplistic arguments for the experimental findings. And the people who conducted the experiments would never come up with anything that simplistic. And it's the same when we're talking about how the medicines work. There are a number of different explanations and in science, you work incrementally to say, well, we can either prove or disprove this aspect of the receptor, this number of the receptors, these binding proteins. And then you try and communicate that with a degree of humility. I think for me, the main thing is the evidence suggests the medicine do help a significant proportion of people. And that's a separate argument from the experimental medicine, because the experimental medicine is mother nature. And like I said... Too complicated for any of us to fully understand.
0: So would it be right to say that SSRIs affect the serotonergic system, which then has a knock-on effect on different chemical systems in the brain, and that's how they are That's
2: a away? very smart way of putting it. Exactly. It's downstream. You. None of us act in isolation.
0: Mm.
2: You know, if you look at evolution, you look at every biological system, you even look at people, none of us work in isolation. All these systems interact with each other. All the monoamine systems interact with each other. And when you read the original hypothesis by Alec Copen in 1967, he was integrating the role of all these neurotransmitters such as serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline, stress, life events, and putting them all together. And what you have said there makes complete sense It's the fact that serotonin will have downstream effects in different bits of cognition. And some neurotransmitters will work with each other. Is that just the nature of human evolution?
3: And, and let's be honest, science. Doctor, when your letter with your colleagues was was first published, a lot of people on social media pointed out the quite extensive list of interests that you mm. all had. Talking about you know work you'd all done with pharmaceutical companies. Of can you can you explain why that? is, and can you understand why people might have some concern about those interests? Of course
2: I do, of course. And I think it's right, firstly, it's right that it's there for people, but it's also important for people to understand the nature of conflicts of interest. So we will put down every single thing we think might be relevant. At a basic level, you'd be asking yourself, I would be asking, are these doctors or scientists getting paid by people producing antidepressants? Are they getting paid by people involved with the serotonin hypothesis? But, you know, there's only one non-generic antidepressant, i.e., you don't get paid money for prescribing SSRI's. And if you look at the conflicts of interest for a lot of people, see myself, for example, I've put down things I did with antipsychotics, which have got no relevance to anything to do with depression. I think, you know, it's important that everyone has any interest to put down. To suggest that no one has any interest, I think would probably be wrong. So to answer you properly, I think it's important people know what's there, but when you look at it, actually, I don't see how that should affect what you're describing in terms of science and basic facts. I think people are intelligent enough to make up their own minds when they look through it and to see there's no money to be made in psychiatry, really, from SSRIs at the current time. And also, if something's a scientific fact, it's a scientific fact. You can't wiggle with that, which is important.
0: One of the common arguments, I guess, against the use of SSRIs is that in trials, we don't see a huge deal of difference between the placebo arm and the SSRI arm. I know that's what a lot of SSRI sceptics think. Mm. What do you say to that?
2: I present them with the evidence. And there's beautiful studies done by Avid Carlson's labs. He won a Nobel Prize for Doha, the Scandinavians, they got a hold of all the data from drug companies and non-drug companies in regard to mood versus placebo. And when you look at the mood scale, you see a significant difference in people receiving the medicine compared to placebo. And they've also looked at things. So with SSRIs, we know there are side effects. And they make it actually more difficult to see an effect when you use the scale. And you still see an effect. We're open. Of course, they don't work for everyone. But in terms of a difference versus placebo, the data there is clear. I welcome scepticism, but I also welcome, I guess, people making up their own minds in regard to the evidence.
0: Well, Dr. Samir Jahar, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: I hope that was helpful. Thank you for your time.
0: Well, that's the argument, isn't it, that SSRIs have been the focus for the past 20 years or whatever it is, 30 years even. And so what's happened is we've just had newer SSRIs come out, but it may be better to look at a different system in the brain.
3: Yeah, I, I guess the problem as well is the brain's really complicated. You know, a lot of these experts in psychology, it, it's not as clear-cut as, as science is. Like Dr. Chaha was saying, mm. it's not like lung cancer. It, there are no clear-cut signs. You can't look at a CT scan on the brain and say, well, look, there's depression right there. Mm-hmm. It, it's a bit of a mystery, even with all the amazing scientific Advances we've had in the last few decades
0: i also think that there is an extra layer to this story which is that the provision for mental health problems in this country is so crap and i think it's really important that you build that into the picture because if we don't have psychological therapists who can help then what other alternatives do gps have no one has time no one has resources there's surging demand And I think that the alternative is to leave patients abandoned with nothing. And that's definitely not a good way to go about things.
3: No, totally agreed. Although, have they tried a nice bath? A a nice long bath? Yeah. Go for a run? Walk in the countryside?
0: I think we'll stop that there before i get angry <laughs> that's all we've got time for on medical Mindfield this week you can read all the latest health news in this weekend's the mail on sunday which you can consume in old-fashioned paper form or online at mailplus.co.uk or on the mail app
3: we'll be back with another topic on medical Mindfield next week see you then goodbye